Welcome back to the Rally DNA podcast. We return to the airwaves after an extended break, but we shall be back on a more regular basis going forward, life permitting, of course. Being the incredibly well-organized bunch we are, we're going to start season four in the most fitting of places, the second round of the World Rally Championship. This year, we shall be bringing you post-event coverage and discussion, along with our more usual fare. Joining me on this journey is Advocate-in-Chief for the return of Tree Box Saloons and Tobacco Sponsorship to the World Championship, Contributor to the much-missed Pace Notes magazine, whose musings can also be found in Classic Ford, Mr. Gravel Crew himself, Jamie Arkell. How's life treating you, buddy? Oh, all the better, thanks to that uh, incredible introduction. Yes, no, very well, thank you, mate. All, all the better for being back here and uh, talking about rallying. You know, I didn't realise I was in bed with big tobacco quite as uh, quite as readily either, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> they, don't call, they don't call you John Player for nothing. <laughs> Better than Bastos. <laughs> anyway, we're just listing, you know, Gallic sounding fags now. Along with Jamie and I, a new addition to the Rally DNA team is a voice you'll have heard on this podcast before, and perhaps even seen his excellent writing in the pages of such publications as AutoCare, Auto Express, Care Magazine, Evo, and many more. Or maybe you have seen him behind the wheel of some exotic machinery on YouTube, most recently featuring on Evo's Car of the Year 2023 video. Freelance motoring journalist, Adam Towler. Adam, you're very welcome along. Nice having you back again. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here and uh, really looking forward to this chat. Super. No, delighted to have you along, Adam. It's uh, definitely going to be a great addition to the team going forward. And at least it means that me and Jamie won't get too bored of each other. <laughs> I promise not to try and talk about Group A stuff too much. I will promise to try and be uh, balanced. We we'll give you promises we'll give you, you can't keep, man. Like... <laughs> I know. Why am I saying this? <laughs> I can never keep that promise. And that's okay. And here, that's fine. We'll give you we'll give oh. you plenty of time and, and your own spot to talk about it. Uh, maybe this not this episode. So, before we move on, we should probably talk about some things to note in terms of technical regulation changes and rule changes for the twenty twenty four. World Rally Championship season. A major talking point prior to the beginning of the new season was the introduction of an all-new point system, one that has generated a lot of online discussion following last weekend's outing in Sweden. However, I'm going to stick a pin in that particular topic for now and perhaps return to it later in the episode. Non-hybrid Rally 1 cars can now enter a World Rally Championship event, provided that in place of the hybrid unit, a dummy unit of equivalent weight, essentially ballast, is fitted. The goal here is to encourage more privateer entries at a lower, more accessible cost, perhaps to act as a somewhat of a bridge between the top tier and Rally 2. These cars will be able to compete on non-WRC national events, though it remains to be seen if we will see a dehybridized Rally 1 car compete this year on either uh, of those. On world rounds, these cars are not eligible for championship points. Speaking of hybrid, the teams are now limited to three units over the course of the season rather than nine in previous years. This is supposed to keep down costs, but we'll see if this is going to pan out for the teams. On Rally Estonia 2023, 
Itanex suffered an engine failure during shakedown, which resulted in a five-minute penalty for changing the power unit, despite the event having not begun as such from a competitive standpoint. This year, should a similar incident occur between scrutiny and the first time control, there will no longer be a penalty for changing the engine, which I think is, is a good and fair rule change, in my opinion. There is an increase in the allowed cooling of the hybrid unit for 24, with no defined number of radiators or fans in the new technical regulations. And in terms of making changes to the cars across the season, there is two jokers available for the chassis and two for the power unit. For the calendar, the season is going to consist of 13 rounds, with some mostly returning and some new additions. Safari has been moved up to its more traditional date of Easter um, since its return in 21. It's been a bit later in the year, so we haven't seen the kind of wetter, muckier conditions that in the Group A era we more associated with that event. And on that note, snorkels have made a return for 2024 for Rally 1, 3, 4 and 5 cars. Up to now, since 2021 and Safari coming back, they were only allowed on Rally 2 cars. This, of course, is most likely to come into play only on Safari, but they are eligible for other events with big water splashes and and the likes. Rally Poland has made a return after its 2017 banishment from the championship, hopefully with less hairy moments with fans. Rally Latvia is a new addition to the calendar, another Baltic event which shares a lot of similarities to some other fast gravel rounds in the calendar, but we'll see how that pans out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite interesting. You look at the start of the uh, that calendar, it's almost like a, an almost throwback to 20, 25 years ago, isn't it? Like uh, that, that, the safari being that early in the in the year. Um, though obviously things get markedly different when you get to the later to rounds like Croatia and stuff. It definitely makes you think back to the Group A stuff and you're hoping now to see how the current Rally 1 hybrids are going to handle wetter, damper conditions with the big splashes, big muddy, flooded ruts and see if these snorkels are going to be useful for the cares. Mm-hmm. Some lunatic in a Toyota Hilux coming the wrong way. That's what we need. <laughs> the fact that there are these some of these new rallies in Central and Eastern Europe, is that... Do you think that's a reflection of rallying's growing fan base in those areas, or is it because of the drivers coming, you know, popular drivers coming from that kind of area? I wonder what what is driving that inclusion of those events. I suspect it's a, a mix of both, because obviously the Baltic states have 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 long and have an increasing interest in rallying. But um, but I can't I can't I don't. I don't know many or any Croatians, so I can't really speak for their their passion for rallying. But that one and the the, the Central European rally sort of seemed to strike me as as it going the other way, attempting to sort of build a fan base when perhaps there isn't one already in existence. Um, not to say it won't work, but you know, it, it if you look at other forms of motorsport, that hasn't always worked. Trying to you know, looking at F one for an example, was it? And F one tried it with India and and Vietnam. You know, no real motorsport interest and just you know putting on a supposedly world-class event didn't exactly cultivate one so we'll see but, but like i say i think that latvia and estonia and all those places have got you know a, a, for obvious reasons for the latter uh, a big following rally, rallying following anywhere is it a case of the promoter trying to bring the sport to the fans in new areas and attract maybe different talent to come true yeah perhaps i mean it's yeah uh, if they build it if you build it they will come um, <laughs> but uh, 
or is it more of a reflection of the traditional classic events having lost favour in their countries and now not receiving funding to allow those events to happen? That's the thorny issue, isn't it? There are a lot of the sort of legacy events have uh, have struggled to to pay their way, um, and, and as you say, it's because of declining, collapsed national interest. Um, yeah, that's that's the elephant in the room that a lot of people online certainly don't want to address when it comes to discussions about rally GB's return and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a hard one. I think it's hard to get away from that if you're a British rally fan. Whilst clearly we want the sport to do well on the international stage, it still hurts a little bit that these new events are coming along and we don't have a rally GB. And whether that's uh, something that we like to admit or not, but it's still, it's there, isn't it? Certainly a, a black mark, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, and, and I know this is always, we always all, Bang, go back to this whenever talk turns to British rallying, but it's amazing how far the sports profile has has fallen off over the last twenty years. You know, for, for obvious reasons. You know, um, but yes, you can't imagine this ever would have happened. Uh, you know, certainly in the nineties or, or the early noughties, we'd never have gotten to this situation. If Elfin Evans manages to take home, say, the twenty twenty four title. Would there be potential then, if that brought more of a national interest, that it might come back in a better way? I'm not sure it would work that way. I don't think that would bring, you know, I don't think just by dint of Elfin winning the championship that so he so clearly deserves, I don't think that would instantly bring back memories of 1995 or even 2001. You know, I'm sure, you know, certain segments of the Welsh population would be overjoyed, but I don't think it would translate into a sort of groundswell of... of public support and recognition of rallying. Yeah, with all due respect to Elf, and I, I think I'd be inclined to agree, I don't think we'll see, you know, that that national adoration that McRae and Burns got. I think, sadly, you're right. I think I think it's, uh, you need the you need the groundswell of support at the roots. Um, and of course, there is some of that there, but not in the way that it was. And it's that that then blows up into this national front page news um, type support, but you, I don't think you can have one without the other. I think it's harder to get that kind of thing now, anyway, in a world where you know, a sort of pick and choose your 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 narrative using all your online platforms. It's not like it was back in the day where you followed rallying on grandstand and and back pages of broadsheet newspapers. You know, when you could sort of people would a whole population would coalesce around. Of rallying or a given driver, you know, now, unless someone's truly exceptional or perhaps, I don't know, does something that truly captures the public's attention, I don't, I'm not sure that, that, how that would happen. I mean, obviously, it, it can happen in motorsport in the modern world. Again, I don't want to keep banging on about roundy, roundy stuff, but look at the Stafford and how what that's sort of done to reignite of Dutch support for, for, for motorsport, or for him at least. Um, so it can, it can clearly happen, but I don't know if rallying has that power at the moment. No, I don't think it does. But as you say, look at look at something like the British Grand Prix. I mean, look at how unbelievably popular that is, despite the most outrageous prices of entry. Um, yeah, people just can't get enough of it, can they? So it, it it can still be a thing, but whatever's going on at the moment, rallying just somehow isn't pressing the right buttons to access that kind of widespread interest. I feel we're getting onto a bigger topic, aren't we? <laughs> 
Yeah, we we need a drive. Well, the sport needs a drive to survive, or the championship needs a drive to survive. That's another kettle of fish, I suppose. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, moving on before we get swallowed up by that topic, it's uh, coming. You know it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We've got this industrial oven of hot potatoes cooking away yeah. there. Oh um, yes. We should probably talk about the main players in the championship this year, beginning with the teams fielding the Rally One hybrid machinery. M Sport Ford, first off. The Cockrum outfit hasn't been having a period of much stability since the introduction of the Rally One hybrid era. After a strong debut for the Puma in 2022, the M Sport team has seen the car vary in competitiveness and, co- and completely different driver lineups across 2022, 23, and now moving into 24. Signing Oitanek for 2023 was a major coup for the team, but the former world champion has now departed for his previous team, Hyundai. A two-car lineup only will be fielded for the 24 season, consisting of returning French crew Adrien Formo and Alex Correa, fresh from claiming the 2023 British Rally Championship title, which no doubt will be a huge confidence boost to the pair ahead of 2024. Formo is no stranger to the Puma, having been part of the team in 2022, and having returned to drive a Puma in Japan last year. Alongside de facto number one driver for Mo is Gregor Munster, co-driven by Louis Luca, who, like for Mo, spent much of last year behind the wheel of a Fiesta Rally 2 run by M Sport and also had an outing in a Rally 3 car. Munster also got to grips with the Puma in 2023 with an outing in Chile, being followed by a great drive in the Central European Rally, where he looked much more at home on the sealed surface roads. Not exactly an untested lineup then for M Sport, but definitely the least experienced of the teams operating the Rally One cars. Nonetheless, it should make interesting watching to see these drivers develop, see how they fare out as the season progresses. The Puma itself once again wins in the best livery six, at the very least, to my eye anyway. Yeah, I, I think it's the best looking car. I really do. I mean, I know that's not very scientific scientific reason for liking it, but I do think it looks really good as a Rally One car. And I do like that new livery as well. Um, so I suppose that's the first thing. And then it's really interesting with Formo, isn't it? I mean, he's coming back. He's he's kind of served his time. He's uh, I'm sure it's had a positive effect on on his on his sort of mental approach. Um, and hopefully he can take that confidence into into uh, the new season, which I'm sure we're about to discuss anyway. But um, yeah, it's uh, I think uh, I think it's an interesting lineup. It'd be interesting to see out of the two of them as well as as younger drivers. Who gets the uh, who gets the upper hand? I mean, the sort of short term demotion thing worked for uh, Tanak and Evans a few years ago, um, and I mean, yeah, I, if looking for a silver lining in 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 that sort of uh, driver line pairing, I, I'd say that the expectations from other teams and generally are going to be much lower than they were for the last two years, which given the state that M Sport seems to find itself, it could be a good thing. You know, uh, it's probably safe to say they're not going to be challenging for the title. Um, although I'd love to be wrong. But, um, you know, the fact that they've got this kind of sort of understated uh, position from which where to start was probably a good building block. They sort of can't lose in some ways. You know, well, they could certainly lose a rally. But, you know, <laughs> there there is, as you say, no real expectation of you know those two guys really fighting every weekend or delivering any sort of title but that should allow those guys then to really develop as drivers unless they spend too long knocking the corners off the cars and uh, bills start piling up which of course is not something that any team but especially M Sport can can shrug off 
yeah, I think Formo has probably got a fairly solid memory of how that worked out from before. So fingers crossed he, he gets through the season without many major mishaps. What what do we think that uh, you know he's learned the most then from the past year? Is it is it is it the the ability to know when to push and know when to take it easy, or is it just stage miles? He's just got more experience, or I mean, what do you guys think? Um, the last year gave him. I mean, I I think it's probably a case of the former, uh, a sort of an ability to sort of see the bigger picture and drive within himself more readily you know not not get um caught up chasing red flags and, and going for the going 10 tenths all the time you know seeing that the championship's a long game and the consistency yada 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 um oh well easier easier said than done of course i can completely see how if you're in that situation and you're chasing 10 tenths or whatever then just going flat out and you know nailing your colors to the mast would be the thing that you'd want to do intrinsically um but uh yeah, I guess that only comes with with experience and and seat time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that aside, do do we think he's got the raw speed? For me, probably too early to tell. I I I, I quite think he's quite talented. Obviously, he wouldn't be there if if he wasn't. But I don't know. He's shown flashes of it. Do we think he's the next lobe? You know, no one's the next lobe. But is there a win in him? Yeah, probably. You know, I think. He hasn't had the smoothest of rides. You know, the Puma he had in 22 wasn't always going to be a good car under him, you know. So he's, everyone that drove that car has struggled with it. So, you know, I think for him last year, having, you know, a proven car under him, he knows now what it takes to win, manage results, manage rallies over the course of a weekend. Now he can, if he can now use that when the Puma isn't maybe at its best, he knows how to manage that and overcome it a bit better, compromise on how he drives, not push too hard, and just play the safer game. Somewhere between a Duval and a Loeb is what we're saying. Oh, that's a big gap. Where do you place him? You know? Is it a Bruno Thierry? You know, Ooh. there's nothing wrong with Bruno Thierry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh dear! I can see us all desperately trying to go back to Group A. Just, just, <laughs> just. Focus. Sorry, focus. Focus. <laughs> no, no, no. focus. That was an Escort WRC. <laughs> I actually met Bruno Thierry's son last year. He was driving the uh, uh, what would you call it, the shuttle bus, into Le Mans at the twenty-four hours that we were on. And I don't know how it came up, but he said, oh, my dad used to drive rally cars. And and, and I was like, oh, yeah, who's your dad? And he said, Bruno Thierry. And I was literally floored <laughs> and speechless. And then he rang his dad on the phone. I'm sure he did it. Really? It was crazy. <laughs> anyway, sorry for that aside, but there you go. Got to get the name drop nice, in there. Very nice young lad. There you go. Hyundai. Uh, Hyundai are doing this year, well, it appears to be uh, what they're doing anyway what they're best known for, throwing everything at a manufacturer's title, which has always seemed to be the focus of that team. Feeling the most drivers of any of the three teams rotated throughout the season. The I-20 Rally won at the end of last year appeared to have overcome its issues and matched the Yaris for pace, despite a turbulent time of late in the team's management. Ex-Renault F1 boss Cyril Abitabu seems to have steadied the ship after being parachuted in to run the team um, at the end of 2022. 
With rumblings in the past that some of the French staff at Alzenau didn't gel too well with some of the other uh, staff members, maybe he was just a man to bring in. His appointment was met with mixed opinions last year, but I can't pick too many holes in what he's achieved so far, despite obviously not taking home a title in 2023. I think things look to be on the up. There seems to be a better vibe inside there. You know, they bounced back very well to losing Craig Green in that tragic accident testing uh, prior to Croatia. It must have been difficult for everyone. And you know, I think the team delivered in, in many ways last year. Certainly, it seemed to be in a much better place. They also gave us some very nice tributes along the way for uh, Craig, uh, which was very, very nice to see. A big shock at the end of last season was the announcement that Oitanic would return to the team after just one year at M-Sport. The move was surprising, given how vocal he was uh, about how unhappy he was at the end of his tenure at Hyundai in the previous year. So maybe Cyril has shown him that you know there's a there's a better way and there's maybe another championship in his future, which might be slightly unusual given that the team's entire focus again appears to be solely on manufacturers' points. So maybe a driver's title could be sacrificed if the manufacturer's one is looking more likely. Who can say? Leading the team, who is truly to say? Newville would say it's him being the Hyundai stalwart and practically the face of the team. By now, it seems so alien to think that Neuville has sat in any other car, though a championship has still eluded the Belgian. Maybe former champion Tanek would disagree. Joining those two is the man who refuses to retire, Danny Sordo, along with Andreas Mikkelsen and Esapekka Lappi, all sharing the third car on select rounds. What are we feeling about Hyundai this year? I mean, I kind of... I hope that they do get a title just because I think I always get the feeling this is a team that could eventually in short, medium term get tied with chucking money at rally and at WRC level rally and, um, and might uh, walk away, which of course would kick the legs out from under anything. Um, so I think from the health of the sport, it would be a good thing if they did start getting more silverware from the Donna title level. Um, certainly, you can't argue with uh, the strength and depth in terms of the driver lineup, can you? You know, Tanak, Neville, uh, even those two alone, that is a, that's a, a, a mightily potent doubleheader. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, assuming the car is as, as fully or has continued to be developed along the same lines that it was tail end of last year, of course. Well, they've got um, Christian Lario uh, in charge of that programme, and we know we've seen his results in the past, so... Hopefully, he can get them uh, in a competitive care consistently and develop it across the season. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jamie. I think, um, you know, they've put a lot of money and time effort into the sport and and I'd like to see them get something back. And I think I think they deserve that. And I also think it'd be good for the health of the sport. And as you say, it's really unthinkable if they do pull out because we've, we've got major problems, haven't we? Um, it's a really strong driver lineup. They've gone back to a what you could almost call a retro livery, haven't they? They've gone back to the old pale blue Hyundai N uh, livery for this for this season. Maybe that will bring them uh, a little bit more luck. But um, yeah, I think the car looks good. And uh, as I say, I I, I I I warm to and respond to the fact that they've obviously made that range of road cars, which is really appealing. And I, I, I'm honestly, I'm a really big fan of the Hyundai N, the N brand. I just think it's such an unpretentious genuine sort of authentic brand based on you know with the road cars really good products that aren't full of hot air and 
whatever they're, they're just really good products developed by what are obviously car enthusiasts for car enthusiasts and i think um the fact that they've also thrown themselves into lots of motorsport and this high level wrc comp- campaign frankly yeah I'd, I'd love to see them get something uh you know get some silverware to show for it yeah i mean especially with the growing popularity now in World Endurance Championship and the amount of hypercar entries, the worry would be that they might shift their focus to that now if that keeps growing the way it seems to be growing. Um, so yeah, it would be a big shame to lose them and basically the championship is dead in the water if they go. So I think, yeah, you're right with the investment and what they've done for the championship and they've kind of preserved it by being there the last few years. So, you know, I don't think I'd begrudge them uh, a win. Adam's right about in terms of the, the the road car range. I mean, any manufacturer that's still trying to sort of quite clearly and so sort of obviously sort of draw a, a line between its its rallying and its road car range, like it's nineteen ninety three, should be should be celebrated. You know that doesn't happen these days. Uh, there you go. Group A reference. Uh, again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. How long was that? About seven minutes, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though, isn't it? Like, we've got Toyota, who have been brilliant, who have, have made some really, really fantastic driver's cars at sort of more reasonable prices over the last uh, few years. And Hyundai have done the same, which sort of then leaves us to point the finger a little bit at Ford, who have rather let the side down. I know there's still the just about the Fiesta ST, but we haven't got that for much longer. Have we? And uh, I don't think we've got the Focus ST for much longer either. So Puma ST, yeah. yeah. And the Puma is gone to auto only. There's no no manual option. Oh, yeah, but uh, can you even? I don't know. I mean, no offense to anyone who's got one, but can, I don't know. It doesn't really. Yeah, my family have banned me. From... To be honest, Killian, I gotta be honest. It's it's an yeah. SUV. It's a crossover. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it, it's it's not a proper car. <laughs> it's a Fiesta and stilts. But it is so. Why don't you, you know, just buy a Fiesta? I mean, it's not a bad car. Bigger hair, so. Yeah, it's not a bad car, but it's not. Um, you, you know, when you drive one, you just think, yeah, it's okay. But I just why not buy a Fiesta ST because it's not any more room in it. Anyway, we're getting off the topic now. Yeah, look, yeah. The, fact, the fact remains that yeah, those two manufacturers, Hyundai and Toyota, I, I really take my hat off to them because they have. Put the money where the mouth is and they have backed up this uh, WRC campaign or you could look at it from the other direction, of course, but they, they've made the road cars go with it. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, look, they've obviously got people at, you know, at the very top level and it's obviously Accio Toyota is, you know, fully motorsport orientated. So he's pushing that. But even at the Hyundai board, they must want this to be happening and they want to provide fun cars and be that bit different. And I think with Hyundai, you can say that the, you know, the... Race on Sunday, sell on Monday stuff must have worked because look at where Hyundai has come in the last two decades. So when they were last in WRC, what we thought of Hyundai then is not what we think of now. I mean, it's a juggernaut. They have a car for everything and they've got the fun cars to boot. So, you know, maybe the rallying has done, done a, you know, played a big part in that. So, yeah, I think fair I play think to so. them. Mm. I mean, I've got as much time for an accent WRC as, as anyone, but... um. You know, uh, yeah, it's a different world now, isn't it? They're a completely different company, and I think it's not—it's not just made them a uh, a company that appeals to enthusiasts and motorsport fans, but I do think it's it's helped rub off on the on the brand as a whole. You know, it all goes all goes into the pot, doesn't it? I think mm-hmm. that equity. 
And lastly, the third of our teams, unfortunately, we still have only three in the top tier, Toyota. Uh, last year's manufacturer's champions, uh, and they also had a driver's champion last year, uh, are back once more, fielding two world champions this season, neither of which are in a full-time role, with Robin Perra now stop it, stepping back to, in his words, recharge for the year. He will be out in a few rounds, but not defending his title. It's an odd one in itself as a young driver to say that he needs to recharge. But again, how long has he been rallying? You know, very a long time given his age. So maybe he deserves to have that time off, do a bit of drifting and have some fun for himself. Welchman Elfin Evans must now see this as his big chance to claim the driver's crown if he can put it up to the Hyundai boys. With no Robin Perra or Ogier in the full-time role, he is now the team leader and Toyota's chance for a driver's champion this year. Joining him is Takamoto Katsuta in a full season capacity this time around. Katsuta probably hasn't been the most consistent of the Toyota lineup, but still showing flashes of brilliance. And I think there's, I think there's a win in his future, um, probably the near future at this point. This year also sees the debut proper of the new Yaris Rally 2, which will be in the hands of Katsuta's father in some rounds, who was, of course, heavily involved in testing the car prior to its homologation. Like Hyundai, Toyota have also changed their livery dramatically, uh, now going in an all-black fare. Yeah, very good. I mean, I feel the same way about uh, Katsuta, uh, and I'm happy to admit that, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a new thing, because for a long time, although I wanted him to do well, I did kind of um, lump him in with, with sort of various other um, Japanese drivers who've been kind of promoted at the behest of of Japanese car manufacturers with the sort of desire to sort of have some some local talent. Um, obviously, you know, quick guys, but perhaps not to the level of of their peers. But uh, I'm happy to admit that I was wrong about that because he's he's clearly got the minerals. I think that that is an interesting one. The Japanese manufacturers have, have always done that in motorsport. You know, you go right back to. 1980s and I think of someone like Satoru Nakajima in in the Lotus who was very much there because of the Honda engines um, despite being a you know, perfectly decent driver and actually occasionally getting a getting a good result um, but they, they've they've kind of always had that and you know I I don't mind that at all I think you know it, not that there are many British uh, car manufacturers left but uh, you know if if we had that sort of patriotic support for our drivers i don't necessarily think that's a you know that that's a bad thing um so so yeah uh i think uh, i think he does have a good result in him this year and um at the team as a whole well it's hard you know despite what we've said about the other cars it's still hard to kind of look past them isn't it in terms of how the season might go because they are a formidable team um even if they have decided to join the formula one crowd and paint the car black which just seems to be the thing you do nowadays, which is a shame, but there you go. It's not a bad livery, is it? It's not terrible, but it's also, it's I don't know. Yeah, it's it's fine. Um, nothing truly special. It's not like dripping in sponsors, which is not always a bad thing, but it's just very plain. But it's I don't not know. Castro. It's, it's no yeah, Ian well, Duncan flying sausage livery, is it? That's it. <laughs> Uh, they were probably overdue a change, though, like Hyundai. I mean, they were both fairly stagnant liveries. Um, and, you know, Ford were definitely winning the livery championship for the last few years. So maybe maybe they finally invested some money in uh, a graphic designer. 
I don't know. It seems to me that they they always seem to struggle with liveries unless we go right back. And then obviously they had some glorious ones. But again, you know, that was that was because of their sponsors, wasn't it? That was and this the main sponsor was giving them so much money that they could basically own most of the uh, the real estate of the car, as the Americans would say, probably. You know, so and times are a bit different now. Um, but I do think they struggle a bit with liveries. You look at their world endurance cars and, and some of the liveries they've had have been, you know, catastrophically corporate and boring over the last sort of decade. So it just seems to be a bit of a um, a bit of a blindside moment when it comes to to doing that, to doing the livery. Yeah, I would have to agree. Does, yeah, the championship hasn't seen kind of so many memorable ones even over the last decade really that would have i don't know put a bit of more of emotion into your memories of them they're just kind of there and a lot of them were very samey for a big period so look it's not the end of the world really it's not the most important thing but you know a bit of change is always good so it's it's nice to see toyota doing something different then and of course hyundai yeah yeah what about the the rov and pera thing i mean what what do you guys think about that i'm i'm not sure you know, I really respect that he's being his own man and he's doing his own thing, but but is it is it a good reflection on the sport? As you mentioned, Killian, you know, for someone so young and that successful to to already be saying something like that, is that I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's the thing. Like, look, a combination of factors, I guess. Yeah, he's there a long time. He's been, you know, groomed for want of a better word to be the world champion. He's got, you know, his dad. He's driving the car since he's 15 or younger, you know, he's out in the ice, you know, as a, you know, before he was even 10, you know, and the comparisons are always there between, you know, Verstappen and Robin Perra because they've got the father who was formerly in the sport. But, you know, in the other ways that Robin Perra's father isn't seeming to be as involved in steering what he wants to see out of him, you know, he's prepared him to be a champion. But now he doesn't, you know, he's not living through him the way, say, Yacht Verstappen is with Max. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, then, you know, if he, the sport must not have that much interest for him at the moment, you know, surely you would think he's a young guy, he's he's already achieved so much, he can break all the records if he wants to. And he has the car under him, which he does currently still. You would think that that guy must want to stay on and break those records. So it, it's unusual, but he clearly has a lot of other interests and maybe before you know, he reaches, you know, a later age, he's trying to explore those, take advantage of the opportunities he's got in, you know, those other areas as well. Yeah. I mean, if you're being charitable, you'd say that it's it's because he doesn't have that sort of um, collector's mindset that, that of, of chalking up titles and breaking records. You know, for some people or some drivers, one, two is enough, isn't it? I mean, but, but, if you're being uncharitable, and I'm inclined to agree with you, Killian, it's a poor reflection of the health of the the championship. You know, um, if if it was as compelling as it was a period of time ago, let's say, then I don't think he'd be he'd be contemplating doing this. Perhaps because there'd be other, perhaps you know, berths available to him, other challenges within the within the championship. Like I think ultimately, you know, if he he feels like he's not to prove, which he doesn't. If he thought he'd have a challenge this year or he wasn't just going to romp away with the championship, that would be exciting for him. So maybe he just feels like there is no real threat to him at the moment. Mm. I think there's got to be, though, a sizable number of people out there that are surely thinking he's got 
a Yaris Rally One car, and he's basically gone. No, I don't. I don't really want a full year in that. And that must, whether you're a up and coming driver or you're just a fan, even if you're just a kid, I just think that that is a difficult thing to get your head around. You know, I mean, if you had access to one of those cars, would you really go? Now nah, I'm going to do some other bits and pieces. And... Just don't think I'm up for it this year. You know, I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to criticise the guy. Far be it for me to do that. But I just think there must be lots of people out there that, that struggle with that. Yeah, it's not very easy to comprehend, but I do. I think I have a lot of respect for him for doing it at the same time. Another big change, as you mentioned earlier, is the new point system introduced for the coming season. It's been controversial from its uh, announcement, but we'll probably have to give it some bit of an explanation and give our thoughts on how we feel about it. Adam, you're taking this one. Give us the rundown. Well, I absolutely feel that you've stitched me up here as a new boy by giving me this. I mean, really, honestly, I'm going to do my best to uh, explain this. um, And I'm going to try and do it, you know, without giving my opinion, although that may come across in my tone. I can only apologise for that. Anyway, uh, the the new point system is uh, to, in theory, um, to penalise drivers who may decide to cruise through a Sunday, saving their tyres for the power stage. Um, So um, for uh, the results up until Saturday evening, there is awarded points starting at 18 right the way down to one. So it's 18, 15, 13, 10, 8, 6, 4, 3, 2, 1. Um, these are awarded uh, for when the cars stop at Saturday evening, but they're not actually awarded until Sunday evening, if that makes any sense. Um, <clears throat> moreover, then on the Sunday, there are points... Um, seven six five four three two one awarded for how you get on how you do on the Sunday, and then of course there's the power stage, which is uh, top five five four three two one. So um, that means uh, in total, uh, I believe you can get thirty points. I'm sorry if I've got that wrong, but I believe a full score is thirty points. Um, but it means that if you were second fastest on each of the three days, you would now get 21 points, not 18 points. And if you were third fastest on each day, you would get 18 points and not 15. Um, uh, In theory, a driver can win the rally despite not scoring the full seven points on a... See, I've lost it. I think that reaction, Adam, is probably how we all felt uh, Uh, reading about it. And then you've got the fact that the WRC2 still runs to last year's system, right? So we don't have to, you know, that that none of this applies to WRC2. Uh, Possibly. I I, I believe. So so, so we've got an extra added layer of confusion. Um, And um, you're correct in that there is 30 points is still the full score available on the table as per last year. Right. I saw that Dirtfish had uh, done an experiment where they tried to um, see what Rally Japan of last year would have looked like with the new points versus the old points. And they employed a spreadsheet. And I have to say, I simply shut my computer down after 
30 seconds because honestly life is too short and this is the problem isn't it with all this i'd like to read out a couple of quotes actually well one's a very short quote from elvin evans which says he felt a win was devalued by the system the new system that is but um uh, ogier said it makes no sense i cannot understand it you devalue completely the victory you make it complex and nobody will really understand from the wider public except you are a nerd and really into rally now i don't think any of us could put it any better than that and if the great man thinks that i think that's well that's more than good enough for me and i think that's yeah. pretty comprehensive i i have to be honest i really don't get this in the slightest i don't understand it and i couldn't explain it to anyone and i think at the moment with the sport you know looking to grow looking to get back to perhaps where it once was to have something like this, it, it, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy in my view. There we go. Over to you guys. It, it's an awful chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Because the, the point system is trying to sort of add in some spice and just to prevent drivers from cruising to victories, yada, yada, yada. But that wouldn't need to happen if we had more manufacturers and therefore more you know, variables in the mix every single weekend but we can't get more manufacturers until the sport the championship becomes a more appealing marketing proposition so this is the way that they've gone for and I, I, you know it's just this i'm completely with you this isn't the way to do it it's very confusing um it, it's as we were saying all when we were discussing this last night it's it, rallying as a concept is already a sort of more complex undertaking than i think anyone who's into it here you know you know readily you know gives gives credit for compared to traditional you know roundy roundy stuff and and this has made it even more impenetrable for the outsider well one of the reasons for doing it seems to be because of the power stage which in itself is a artificial construction that uh, it's, it's weird so now you've got an extra layer of complication because of another layer of complication that you've already added on uh, no it's just no just just absolute no 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 Go back to 2009 and when it was 10 for a win just you know <laughs> well, exactly yeah like it's again it's kind of sort of this artificial jeopardy because of you know results being decided that bit earlier and again the power stage as you said is is also a flawed concept i think these rule sets or the, the new points may work slightly better if there was no power stage points available but yeah it's uh you know it's a band-aid solution which appears already to you know have failed um and if you have to explain anything in a spreadsheet to people who are if they've googled this they're new to the sport and they get a spreadsheet they're just that's gone they're like you they're turning off the laptop that's it game over yeah well i i couldn't find anything explaining it i might have missed it but i couldn't find anything explaining it on the official website either and again i just come back to that same thing if you're a casual fan or if you're someone you know fan trying to get into the sport you think it might be for you you, you find it exciting something like this is such a barrier to put in the way it, it's yeah it's not right yeah i mean the very notion that a guy a driver i think this is you know para paraphrasing dirtfish david evans you know a, a driver who who's blitzed friday saturday and then you know has won everything, and it is and has locked locked in those points on Saturday night. But then has a stinker of a, a Sunday, and and you know blows the power stage, whatever finishes in sixth, you know at the end of the day. 
has, has therefore and could potentially therefore leave this hypothetical rally situation with less than a driver who who, who just did well on the Sunday. You know, it remained in touching distance for the, 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 the first few days of the rally. It's just incomprehensible and and yeah, goes against everything that we're trying to achieve. Just goes against the sport, doesn't it? And I, mean, I think technically someone can actually score more points than the rally winner. Mm-hmm. And that that mm-hmm. simply should well that just simply should never be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean it's it, it you know it's motorsport you win you win it's not I, <laughs> oh dear yeah um it's it's a funny one I don't have a particular solution to the whole thing because there's you need to work back a lot further than just changing the points but yeah I think I think yeah we've covered it there really I don't know what else to say about it um, bring back drop scores. They, they they have to their credit they have said they will review it throughout the season if it doesn't appear to be working or will they you know will they double down and say this is the best solution we were right all along you know, I'm inclined to think they'll they'll dig their heels in because they won't want to and I can almost see it because you can't start changing things you know willy nilly you can't change it again after such a short span of time otherwise mm-hmm. you're going to make the championship look ridiculous plus car manufacturers will start Again, understand we're throwing their toys out the pram, I suspect. Um, so I think we're probably locked in for longer than we'd like to believe. Yeah, I think so too. Oh, God, we need some levity, don't we? Yeah. Well, we'll move <laughs> forward from that then. And uh, seeing as we missed the first round, Jamie, will you give us a brief recap on where we stand after Monte Carlo? I'll try. I mean, as I said, levity, not brevity. So, you know. <laughs> Um, right uh, so Monte Carlo 2024 WRC season kicked off with its customary trip to Monaco and the increasingly common spectacle of a largely snowless Monte Carlo rally a clear indicator that the days of six foot snow banks atop the Col de Torini are now almost certainly a thing of the past Um, nevertheless this was a Monte full of spectacle and intrigue and a rally where a resurgent Thierry Neuville was able to make his case for that elusive first WRC title, uh, a goal he's been striving to achieve with Hyundai for a full 10 years now. Um, hoping to deny the Belgian was sometime contender Sebastian Ogier, whose partial programme for Toyota was always likely to include a trip to the Principality. Uh, the WRC round Seb himself says he most enjoys and the scene of nine previous triumphs in recent years. Um Yet it was a Welshman who first staked a claim for the 2024 Monty, uh, with Elfin Evans using his advantageous road position to lead the rally come the end of its first leg. Evans claimed both Special Stage 1 and Special Stage 2, thanks to a mix of bravery bravery and a decision to pump for a set of soft tyres all round, um, as opposed to the uh, one super soft and three soft chosen by most of his uh, his rivals. Uh, though in this, he was also aided by the Hyundais of Tannock, Mickelson and Neville, all suffering from intermittent throttle mapping issues. Um, Evans ended the first leg with a 15.1 second advantage over Neville, with Ogier overhauling Tannock on the second of the loop stages to lie third overall, just 6.5 seconds further back. OGA's charge was aided by Tanak's sickly Hyundai and the Estonian's less than fulsome confidence in his right pedal. Um, the opening test of the second leg brought more drama for Tanak, uh, the Hyundai returnee spinning on the ever-present ice and getting stuck in the ditch. 
um, help from some keenly played position spectators meant that he was eventually able to continue. Uh, but the off, the off cost him a full 40 seconds uh, and fourth place overall and basically ensured that he was effectively out of contention for the win. Um, proof that he wasn't alone, the same fate befell Toyota's Katsuta at the same corner, uh, and the Japanese driver fell from 6th to 19th, as did WRC2's Chris Ingram. Um, clear evidence that even a, a relatively snowless Monty is still a thing to approach with respect and a degree of caution. Uh, no such issues for Neville here. Uh, he was fastest on this stage, the Saint-Léger test, uh, by full 5.3 seconds, uh, and in the process trimmed Evans's lead to a whisker under 10 seconds. However, any momentum Thierry had built up was squandered by a costly spin on the very next stage, uh, something he blamed on the aforementioned throttle issues uh, and the back end of the Hyundai stepping out onto a patch of sheet ice. Um, the spin gave Evans pause of breath at the front and pushed Neville into the clutches of Ogier, who, perhaps sensing an opportunity, won stages four and five at a canter. Ogier's fastest time on special stage five, the, the run from La Brielle to Salonet, uh, was especially impressive, as not only did he win by 11.2 seconds to take second overall from Neville, um, it also became clear in the post-stage interview that his mind was not and could not be focused wholly on rallying. Um, his quote, this was the one directly after finishing that stage, looks like I'm still alive, we're struggling so far, I'm having a tough week, but I'll try my best. Uh, and he was clearly on the verge of tears, and he's not exactly the most emotional of drivers historically, certainly in terms of those kind of emotions. Um, only at the end of the rally did Seb feel able to illuminate further opening up on a personal tragedy that understandably weighed heavily on him throughout the event. Um, he quote, quote, for, for me, it's been a tough week, big roller coaster of emotion. Friday was the toughest. It was hard to say goodbye on Monday to a person that was very important to me, who launched me in motorsport and often be my first go-kart. It was so sudden and not the best timing. There is no good timing for that. Uh, I've thought about him a lot. So, I mean, you know, it says a lot, I think, about Ogier and his commitment still to competing, that they even have the mental wherewithal to even consider uh, any kind of competitive driving, let alone to make such a decent job of it, as, as we'll soon see. Um, I, I, I don't personally know who this, this person was, but clearly uh, a key player and uh, a big part of his motorsport uh, grounding. So, yeah, feel sorry for the guy. Um. Back to the Principality, uh, and rally leader Evans had to watch as his once comfortable buffer was steadily pruned back over the course of Friday afternoon um, as the frenetic squabble between Neuville and Ogier gathered momentum. The former banked stages six and seven, despite claiming some lingering fallout from his spin earlier in the day, but it was Ogier who ended the leg on top thanks to setting his fastest time on the final stage, another blast through La Briole to Solene. Um Ogier thus held second overall come the end of Friday's leg, 4.5 seconds down on teammate Evans and 11.6 seconds clear of the chasing Neville. Saturday dawned bright, cold and dry, and so Neville set about using the classic Monty weather to his advantage. He blitzed the opening test by 9.6 seconds ahead of Evans, enough to overhaul Ogier for second overall, and no doubt helped by the Frenchman's relative lack of pace, a situation the Toyota man blamed on overly conservative pace notes. Neville's teammates had a less enjoyable run through the Esperon stage. Um, 
Tanat struggled with yet more throttle map issues and Nicholson spun off on the very first corner uh, of that stage. Uh, he seeded sixth overall to Gregoire Munster in the process. Um, and it would later transpire that Neville's I-20 also suffered from the same intermittent ECU gremlin, uh, but the team managed to devise a solution early on in the event. That could just be, you know, hearsay, but if, if it's true, I can imagine that uh, Tanak was, was less than impressed with that. Um, we shall see. Um, stage 10 saw Neville finally take the lead of the rally from a hybridless Evans, uh, a position he'd hold until later that afternoon when Ogier, now more comfortable with his setup and his notes, won special stage 13, his 700th special stage win of his career, uh, and redeposed Neville having already demoted Evans to third on the previous stage. Ogier's spell at the top of the table was short-lived, however, as Neuville was not to be denied. The Belgian's storming run through the final stage of Saturday, SS14, uh, was 4.1 seconds faster than Ogier and not to hold the rally lead overnight, albeit with a scant 3.3-second buffer. In doing so, he took advantage of the revised point system and so banked 18 points for holding the overnight lead on Saturday. Well, well say banked but provisionally. Um, in truth, and with the benefit, benefit of hindsight, it's clear that Neuville had already put in the hard yards by this point, and if anything, Sunday was little short of a victory parade, albeit one ringed with the ever-present danger of sheet ice. The Hyundai stalwart stamped his authority on all three of Sunday's stages, including the ascent of the Col de Torini, the power stage, to then take an emphatic Monty win, and with it, the full 30 points in the lead of the championship. Um... The confusing FYI point system foisted upon the championship meant second place Auger and third place Evans left Monaco with 24 and 21 points respectively, while Tanek effectively forced into limitation, damage limitation mode after his spin had to be content with 15 points. Um, I think Novell's performance was deeply impressive, um, though of course this is going to be somewhat tempered by the fact that we've been here several times before over the last 10 years or so, um, and it, it's not it's obviously not Nouvelle isn't a champion, so obviously it's not come to fruition. Um, that said, I'd still put this among his most impressive victories to date. Really consummate, unflappable, the kind of thing we've come to associate with Ogier and in more recent years, Robin Perra. 21 points represents Evans' biggest Monte Carlo haul. Uh, and while he was no doubt disappointed to be relieved of first and then second, um, he, he must feel pretty happy given how early we are in the season. And uh, finally, M Sport. I think it was a quietly promising Monty for M Sport and its all new Gen Z driver lineup. Um, okay. <laughs> I know, right? Horrific. Um, so expecting these. <laughs> um, expecting the two to be in contention for out outright victory was always going to be a stretch. Uh, but in the end, they both overcame difficult circumstances to rise to the occasion. Four mode drive with uh, particular Alan, and one gets the impression that he could well have driven harder and faster had he not been on the shortest of short leashes. Fifth overall and ahead of both Mickelson and Katsuta was not to be sniffed at, though, uh, and has left the Frenchman well-placed for Sweden. Munster spent time in the ditches, but can nevertheless take heart from his pace on the Monte, not least because he had a third fastest stage time on Saturday morning. Um, yeah, Toyota left Monte with a one-point lead in the manufacturer's standings, 46 points to 45 to Hondo's 45 M Sport trail with just 13. You mentioned M Sport trailing, but I think they can be reasonably happy with how that panned out for them. You know, I think Formo 
the fifth is fine for him. He needed to get through that event and finish, given uh, the outing he had there in 2022. Um, so I think a lot of respect for him for that. I think it's it's a good result. You know, they probably weren't going to challenge for the win, but I actually think Emsworth can be very, very happy with that uh, result. I mean, that point system is definitely covertly designed to help M Sport in this respect, isn't it? Or well, certainly it's going to be more likely benefit M Sport, I dare say, than it would the other two. Would you agree? We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. Uh, potentially, yes. But how much benefit is it enough benefit to see them challenging for anything? Probably not. But yeah, let's see. <laughs> I agree with you, Jamie, about um, Newville. I thought it was very impressive. It can't be easy, can it, when you've got Ogier breathing down your neck in a Toyota on the Monte Carlo rally. That's got to, you know, that's going to really um, separate the men from the boys, isn't it, that one? That's, uh, I think he did really well there. He showed great resilience and speed. Um, I think uh, it's always the same every year. I think the cars never look better than Monte Carlo rally, do they? I think you have to just say, time I expect, lamp pod, it's just something about it. It's just magic, isn't it? So um, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think, you know, it was interesting with the crowds, wasn't it? I think um, that was a some remarkable scenes at night. On which, Friday, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which really just, I mean, I saw some people going, oh, oh gosh, you know, this is like the worst. This is crowd safety. This is all of that. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because most of us probably go, this is brilliant. This is what it's all about. Bring it on. Um, and we want to see more passion. We want to see more fans. We want to see more of that. We want to get that atmosphere and rallying. And that sometimes is a rather awkward bedfellow with modern health and safety style, um, or health and safety style existence, isn't it? They're, they're not they're not necessarily two uh, comfortable things together. Um, but it, it did look fantastic. Definitely made, made me want to be there. I mean, it just looked, absolutely brilliant didn't it um i thought i thought some of the speed was i don't want to sound like a wuss now but i, I don't know about you but some of the footage i thought was so fast mm. so fast that it was almost a little bit uncomfortable i don't know i just felt yeah if something goes wrong at those speeds there is an absolutely almighty accident, isn't it? But I mean, absolutely spectacular. And I think I've become a bit inured to that since 2017. You know, I've seen so much of the, you know, that the manic footage. You know, what's what's that stage in Spain, Querel or whatever it is, yeah. where you see the guys going basically taking the fight of least resistance. And I agree with you. Yeah, it, it's physics at the end of the day. Even with all the amazing crash structure in the world, if you crash at 120 mile an hour against a tree. You know, can I do so much against physics? But I, I don't know. I guess I'd be inclined to roll the dice, but but that, I don't know what that says about me. But uh... well, no, I'll, I'll take your point, and I think maybe sometimes you know I'm probably quick to criticise the the current the current kind of championship and the current rules, and we've always got stuff to say about well, the cars aren't this or they are this, and they should be that. And you know, it's easy to go on and on about that, but I do think sometimes you need to just see some of that footage and think, actually, you know, this is a really special time. These are very special cars. And maybe that can get lost a little bit sometimes. And and when you watch some of that footage from Monty, yeah, it's just absolutely spectacular, isn't it? Those cars are are amazing. Um, 
the final thing I was going to say was how important one corner can be because that one corner, I mean, you said about the weather and it was a very dry, um, a very sort of dry Monty, which is a shame in many ways, but one corner of ice had such a big bearing. And when I was watching it, uh, I think I watched that stage live. And I, th I know when um, Nuva went in and he, he was on that corner and he did clip the bank with the rear of his car and you could watch it. And it was almost like in slow motion. It was obvious what was going to happen. Uh, you know, as the back clipped, it obviously sent the front round. And he just, it seemed like he just had enough lock on. Mm. And maybe it was that, maybe it was just, you know, the, the the rotation was different to the other guys of the car. You know, it was it was slightly less pronounced, but it was, he just had enough lock to keep the front out of doing it. And it was, we're talking millimetres. And then Tanak went through and exactly the same thing happened, but the front of the car just got caught. And the whole, you know, their whole rallies rested on that that absolute split second on that one corner and then had obviously completely different outcomes. And I think, you know, for me, that's absolutely fascinating. But that's where Monty is, is so unique in that you mentioned the mad speeds a second ago, but it's that corner where you're picking your way through and it's just mm. a millimetre extra of throttle travel. Such an innocuous corner. In your it rally. Was, isn't that, it? it was. You know, minuscule speeds. Right-hander, you know. Yeah. yeah. But it was so icy, wasn't it? They were like... Cats on the, you know, cats clawing away at the surface. It was, yeah, there was no grip at all. They needed that though this year. I mean, even though it was still relatively dry, even though they moved it north, I think Gap is a far better area for the rally. I mean, I was at Monte last year and it was great to see it. I'd never been to it, witness it, see Monaco, all that. But because it was so dry, you didn't have that jeopardy where they, they had to change their approach. You're flat out one moment picking your way through a corner at 20 kilometers an hour the next and yeah well it didn't quite offer that but it did give us a, that moment you know so it's um that's what monty should be you know up flat out one side of the mountain crawling down the other, down the other tire yeah. choice completely you know completely influencing the whole weekend um you can get lucky or you don't and just that extra bit of throttle travel sending you off the road at a tiny speed rather than a big committed corner where you just misjudge your entry and your line and you go off at a massive speed and that's where Monty is is so good in, in many ways Monster had a I didn't mention this but he went uh, understeered at low speed and almost it, it hit a a very flimsy looking wooden baluster which which must end with a, a big drop behind it I mean you know that must have concentrated his mind somewhat I think that was Saturday afternoon no damage done, but as usual, as we've just said with Monty, could well have been. Those barriers don't look like they'll hold up to much, to be honest. So, yeah. Roman Crester has entered the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we also send our rally DNA um, commiserations to those hardy rally fans who came to the rescue of Tanak and, and friends and then promptly fell very violently onto their backsides on that same patch of ice. Because um, so, they're, yeah, they must be rather sore, I think, uh, the next day. But at least they went to the, you know, they, they, they were there in spirit. They went to the aid of those cars gallantly, just didn't quite make it. <laughs> There's nothing worse than falling and having it recorded. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs>
With all that much lengthier uh, preamble out of the way, uh, we can now move to the last, most recent round of the World Championship, Round 2, Rally Sweden. I think we can all agree, uh, and I'll, I'll ask you for your opinion on this, that Sweden is, without a doubt, one of the best rounds on the Championship. Fair to say? Absolutely. Unique. Yeah, I'll go along with that, especially when it's snowing. Like this year, that was epic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, last year, obviously, there wasn't as much snow, but there's something about how it looks and the opportunity it provides for video footage and watching a car like that at the speeds and how it turns, how it stops, how it goes on those studded tires to still make your brain hurt a little watching it happen. Uh, yeah, as Jamie said as well, unique. You've got the snow banks. The driver is utilizing those, so it brings so much to the table. Uh, this year, it was in the same location as the previous outing. I'm going to butcher this. Amia? Any, any, anyone else want to venture that one? I think we'll, I think we'll leave, uh, <laughs> leave that one to you, mate. <laughs> There's a really good stage name on the on the uh, on the, oh. the on the third leg, which I'm looking forward to. The uh... oh, no pressure. Come on. B-Y-P-P-S-I-L-L-U-N. <laughs> it's bad enough when we butcher drivers and co-drivers' names, but uh, yeah, the stages here can uh, be a challenge, as the Scandinavian ones often are. So we'll take it back. I can't wait for Sweden to be rescinded from the calendar so we don't have to pronounce this. <laughs> no, Sweden has to stay. Has to stay. It can't be replaced with Norway or something like that. It's, uh, yeah, it definitely belongs. Um, so coming into round two, uh, we saw a few changes in the driver lineups. Um, obviously, we mentioned there's a lot of rotation going on within the teams. So Robin Pera, this was his first event uh, this year. No OJ uh, with Toyota this time. Um, Evans again for Toyota. And Takamoto Katsuta were the three Toyotas uh, entered into this round. With Hyundai, we had Newville, Tanik and Esapeka Lappi. Lappi obviously demoted somewhat this year, um, but someone who you know, he had a good performance last year didn't work out for him. But you know he was he was certainly very very quick and capable in a lot of places. For M Sport, obviously they only have the two driver lineups, so Formo and Munster back in play here. This was expected to be a bit of a challenge for Munster, I guess. Really, not a lot of experience in these conditions. Um, mm. Formo a bit more so, but you know you'd have to say it's not their natural habitat for those two guys. Also in a rally one car is uh, Lorenzo Bertelli uh, back in a Yaris once more uh, and as a privateer entry again. Was that last guy, the Italian chap, was he in yeah. a non-hybrid rally one? No, no, no. And he hasn't been to date. Um, he is the heir to Prada. Oh, was that here? I knew That's he was, had more from. money than God. but um... <laughs> So that was a hybrid Yaris. Yeah, and he's he's been in... Wow. He's done a Puma. He's done an outing in a Puma before, and then last year he drove a uh, Yaris in Sweden, and also at Rally Legend. Used like, to be Fiestas, didn't it, back in the day in the twenty seventeen? Yeah. He's been out in Ford stuff before. I'm pretty sure he was out in a Puma in twenty two. Uh, but yeah, he's the heir to the Prada fortune. And I only realised this because someone bought me one of his T-shirts at Sweden last year, and when it arrived, it had a Prada label, which I found unusual. But then I looked him up, and there we go. So that's where the that's where the money is. Is he the only guy that has entered a rally in the 
as a privateer in a hybrid rally one car so far or just this year I, I, I don't know well we've seen I, um, the, the Greek chap he's been out a good few times in a Puma as well okay. over the last couple of years yeah uh, okay. trying to think of someone else those are the only two really jumping to mind yeah there wasn't anyone in Monte yeah not it this time out no, no. it's pretty damning isn't it anyway sorry carry on Traditionally here, over the last few years, the start of the rally, uh, the Super Special has taken place in an arena-type stage. And again, this year uh, was the same. Rob and Pera, straight off the mark, won the Super Special. But as we know, isn't much of an influence on the rest of the rally. Friday's proceedings were kicked off with a visit to Stage 2, now renamed in honour of the late, great Craig Green. It's now SS2 number 42, Bratby, uh, obviously last year. Craig Green had a stellar performance uh, in particular on that stage uh, and he hence became known as the mayor of Bratby. So there was a lot of sta- uh, flags, stickers and the likes on display. Um, fastest through there was Robin Perra once again, followed by Lappy and Tanek. Um, that was very close, wasn't it? Bratby, uh, sorry, Robin Perra was 3.2 seconds faster than anyone else. Um, but Lappy and Tanek set the same time, 6.15.9. They were quite tight down the road as well. I mean, uh, Katsuta, 6.16.2, and then slightly further back, Elfin Evans. Moving on to the third stage, we had once again a change. Uh, Lappy, fastest through here, and setting himself up for a good weekend, getting his feet uh, firmly on the ground and gaining a bit of confidence along the way. This is the uh, Nouvelle uh, was unhappy with his pace uh, and his car. He complained that his wipers were full of shit, which I presume he meant snow. But uh, <laughs> you know, be too too certain with Thierry. Easily <laughs> interchangeable. He's just a different colour. <laughs> Adrian Formo was starting to find a bit of pace here um, on day two, uh, putting in some good stage times throughout the day. Um, the funny thing here was that Oliver Salberg was putting it right up to the Rally 1 cars. Uh, obviously no stranger to these conditions, but putting the car perhaps somewhere it shouldn't really be, um, provo- uh, provoking a lot of chat online um, about you know the, the state of rallying, uh, as it were. But day two as well, Neuville uh, had a bit of a delay. Uh, he received a 40-second penalty, which put him outside the top 10. Well, yes. Now, was that the, this was this a legit issue or not? I mean, obviously, Elfin Evans seemed to suggest that he thought otherwise about with his sportsmanship's gone out the window comment. Um, but equally, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't do the tactical thing. And if it wins you the title at the end of the day, at the end of the year, then all's fair in love and rallying, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's not something uh, rallying is any stranger to, is it? But you know, the guys can gripe, but. Who knows? Who knows for sure? Uh, yeah. it's, none of this is going to be in writing. We can we can keep suggesting all we want. I bet the Martini rally team would have done it. Oh, absolutely, and the rest. <laughs> they wouldn't. Have, they wouldn't have thought twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, fourth stage was the first pass through Floda, uh, which was an eventful one. Um, Tanak ended up seeding third overall uh, because he went into the snowbanks. Uh, although he managed to recover out of the snow without too much trouble, um, it, the car began to overheat soon afterwards because he'd clogged the radiators uh, and the inlet full of full of the white stuff and had a very, very 
close thing coming together with Formo uh, following just behind him. Um, very lucky not to hit each other. Um, and yeah, just pure fluke and I suppose a bit of talent, really. Who who knew that Formo's pupils could actually go that wide? <laughs> the footage was something. <laughs> uh, mine were going that wide. I tell you, but I could see you could see it happening, couldn't you? It was like a, it was a proper train wreck in the yeah. in, in process, and I was thinking, oh no, 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 and yeah, he just caught him at exactly the wrong point, didn't he? On the quick road. section, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a moment, ooh, not good, not good. And Sweden, of course, is one of those ones where you can't get if if you have if you're stopped, you're between the banks, so you can't really exit the road as well. So it doesn't leave much room for another car to get through. This is the same stage that uh, foremost teammate uh, Monster suffered a puncture, uh, and he sort of dragged it along for a while, but it started delaminating and ripping the inside of the I think it was the front left arch of shreds. So we had to stop and change it, and then of course the big scalp again on SS4 would be. Uh, reigning incumbent champion Robin Pear himself. Yeah, proof that some of Sweden's fairly uh, an unfussy uh, an equal opportunities rally ruiner. Yeah, and he would have been the favourite going into this as well. And he, you know, he'd laid down a benchmark early on. Hard to look past him, despite, you know, that he's not doing the, the full season. This one got him quite early. How? I mean, especially considering, I mean, you know, I, you, you can't read too much. You can read too much, rather, into end of stage comments but considering how much he castigated himself the stage before you can only think that perhaps he was trying to up the ante for this one still sure it uh it uh handed uh it certainly added a fair bit of spice into the mix because uh it uh, promoted uh katsuta further up the up of the order and uh yeah into the rally lead by 11.4 seconds following a service halt uh things resumed for stage five where we had a top time being set by a rally two care of all things actually five top five times set by rally two cares mm. um strange one. Helps, yeah absolutely but we wouldn't have thought it would help that much um i think that still came as a big surprise to everyone involved lappy was the only rally one car in the top 10 um sixth fastest what would you guys say that means for Rally 1 as a whole? Like, even with the running order, should that have been possible? The answer that we all want to give and the internet wants us to give is that we should scrap Rally 1 and just de-restrict WRC and promote it to the top. That's another thing we probably shouldn't go into right now. <laughs> we could be here till 2 in the morning. This is Yeah, we're already uh, running up the clock quite a bit. What were the conditions like? Were the were, uh, remind me what the conditions were like on that stage? I mean, was that a factor? Snow falling, heavy snow, snow falling at the time. If I remember correctly, sleet. That's always going to be a great leveler, isn't it? A leveler, yes, but promoting the second tier, who are, you know, disadvantaged massively in power and aero, you'd still think that shouldn't be the case. Closer in times, maybe, but, you know, uh, Lappy was six seconds off the top time of a Rally 2 care. And local-ish knowledge, but even then, it's not like they were all Swedes, you know, they were from the Baltics and other stuff, so it's not... And and I don't think local knowledge is quite the the, the thing that it was, the, the fact that it was 30 years ago. Um, but all the other drivers, you know, were commenting how much it was, how awful it was. Um, 
Monster described it as the most difficult conditions I've ever driven in. Literally, no grip, snow going over the bonnet. I don't know. I'm just surviving. I feel so slow and still I'm in the snowbank. Yeah, seemed like a tough one, to be fair. I mean, it wasn't snowing that heavily, though, was it? You know, how does it? It's, Not, it's, you know. It seems to me that it changed it more dramatically than one would have thought. I don't yeah. know. Especially, it's not like this is a trend that continued throughout the rally either. It is just that stage that is the the outlier, or at least to that extent. So at the end of day two, being Friday, uh, we did see um, a rally leader in the form of Esapeka Lappi, closely followed by Takamoto Katsuta, who was being putting in a stellar performance uh, throughout day two. Um, one of his best at that time, you know, if it's looking like he had the potential to take home his first victory, if not a certain podium. Who were the winners and losers really on day two? I think, well, the losers are very obvious. Um, the winners maybe being promoted in by default and people would maybe say. Yeah, I mean, that's rallying to a degree, isn't it? You know, Sweden bites and bites hard. Um, but certainly that full stage was, uh, was, was quite the leveler, wasn't it? I mean, it's that's the thing, isn't it? We're, Things can all rally and rallying. Things can all be going to script until one stage and everything happens at once. It fascinated me how much how much um, the grip seemed to vary um, on and offline. I mean, from what the drivers were saying as well, it seemed to be like if you were in the ruts, you had the grip. But the moment you went off that, then the grip fell away incredibly quickly. And, and looking at the speeds involved as well, it, it, you really got the impression that it was like walking on a tightrope, that you were threading threading the needle uh, down the stage. And, and if you just put it a millimetre or two offline, then there was very little um, very little coming back from that. Lappy commented as much and, and basically had a, a, a mild dig at, at uh, Munster. Um said, I think Gregor doesn't have the experience to know how to drive in these conditions, so the line is fully fucked. For me, he's been <laughs> everywhere. I see there is the line, but in the end, he's put some snow onto it. For sure, one of the most challenging snow stages I've done. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> it's like the the rallying equivalent of that Hockenheim uh, Grand Prix a few years ago when the wet, the dry line was forming in the wet, and if you just went ever yeah. so slightly off it, there was guys in the barriers. I think it was 19, yeah. God, I've done a lot of roundy, roundy racing. Done. Yeah. Um, Maybe we need a little jar where you have to put a penny in each time you mention roundy, roundy. There's a forfeit. A roundy, roundy jar. <laughs> Jamie's roundy, roundy jar. I think we've all had a penny in so far. There's a homologation tin. That's right, a group A tin as well. I've said homologation. There we are. Put a quid in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we've gone through, we've done well. No, no one have meant, no one's mentioned homologation so far, but uh, here we are. We we were filling up the bingo card as we go. Day three was opened with stage nine, uh, the first pass of Vanas. I'm probably again pronouncing that wrong. Uh, this was won by Itanic, uh, rejuvenated and back on the road following his uh, early bath uh, the previous day. At this stage, though, Lappy was still leading, just over Katsuta. Um, they were mm, not quite trading times, but Katsuta was staying in touch. And if he, if we could keep the car on the road, there was still a fair chance that he could claim a maiden victory. Lappi, however, was was looking firmly 
on a, a victory ending his drought since his 2017 Finland win and was taking it relatively steady, not taking too many risks and taking a measured drive as the day wore on. Formo, uh, probably someone you wouldn't have highly rated for you know placing high in this event, was creeping up the overall standings. And by the end of stage nine, sitting in third, having overtaken, oddly enough, the Rally 2 care of Oliver Salberg. And from there, we had Elfin Evans sitting in fifth now. Um, Evans probably would need to be in a much better position at this point. It would need to start closing in on a podium, given that this is his year to take home a championship uh, behind the wheel of the Toyota. So he would have to keep the foot firmly buried and start edging away at that lead. Evans would have said that uh, he was doing just that before Thierry Neville's penalty forced him to be snowplow for the for the for the day. Um, but yeah, I get your point. <laughs> at this point, you know, when you guys are looking at it, how did you feel about Katsuta's drive uh, up to this point in the rally? Oh, I was really excited by it. To be honest, it was great to see him doing so well. I thought it was uh, was was really refreshing and. Um, you know, I really hoped that, uh, <laughs> I think we all know the outcome, so I'm not giving anything away, but I really hoped that, you know, he was he was going to ch- uh, challenge for the win. It was on merit as well, this pace, wasn't it? You know, it, yeah. he's clearly got speed in Sweden. Um, yeah, and you could see it, and again, without giving it away, I mean, you could hear even when when, uh, when, when, it, when it benefited him, Lappy sounded genuinely quite upset that he'd benefited from, from such a, and Katsuta's demise on the very next stage. Spoilers. No, oh, you've definitely given it away now, Jamie. Oh. God, all these people who are only learning from no. rallying. This was their rally report. <laughs> it's like Tony Mason going out there right at the start and fucking everything up for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is old school. The, the program's delivered <laughs> a week later. <laughs> Following oh, Morgan Park 1998, Tony, Tony Mason stormed straight out and ruined it for everyone. <laughs> I feel yeah. like uh, Taka seems to fall foul of a bit of a curse because every time he seems to be in this position where if not a solid podium or, or getting, you know, maybe we haven't thought of, of him getting a victory before, but certainly the few podiums that he's had within reach, he seems to just immediately fall off in certainly sometimes very innocuous ways. But I know I think there's a bit of a curse there. Anytime someone starts talking about a great result from, he seems to disappear into the bushes. Uh, hopefully that luck will change. And he, again, he definitely deserves um, and has a win in his future, but not here. No, no, certainly as not. As we already know. Yes. Spoilers. <laughs> oh, God, as a treat, you can pronounce, you can try and pronounce the stage that, on SS10 that, that, that bets him. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll myself up now. I don't have it in front of me, so oh, okay. I say? if I did, I would. <laughs> on stage uh, 10, um, a hard-pushing Katsuta found himself in a snowbank and out of <gasps> the day's rallying proceedings. So, Lappy now Basically unchallenged, I guess you'd say. Uh, clear, clear lead, just to manage it now and get through. One uh, minute thirty-one second lead over four more. Mm. Mm. I did feel really sorry for um, Katsuta. Did you see the interview with the mm-hmm. when the bottom lip went? And uh, mm. you know, you you had to feel really sorry for him, didn't you? Because I mean, he was driving so well, and 
I imagine it was a, a a very small error with a very big consequence, you know. And uh, yeah, you could you could see how much it meant to him. Um, and I think yeah, that was that was pretty tough to watch. That's the thing with Sweden, isn't it? These these banks that you need to lean on to be stand any stand any chance of actually winning a stage, but you're never quite sure whether you've lent on it too much or whether you know that little bit of extra pressure is the bit that's going to snap the back in and then pull the front in after it. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, it was sad. I was, I, I felt sorry for him. Um, I think a lot of people were rooting for him. You know, you always want to see someone grab that first victory, and he definitely had the pace for it on merit. Uh, in Sweden this time out, but we'll see uh, if he gets to back on the saddle and hopefully pulls one something out of the bag later in the season. Newville at the end of the day on Saturday was collecting ten points because of the new points system which is a strange one. Again, he's banking 10 points on Saturday, uh, even though he started today in 11th overall. Can we wrap our heads oh, around that a little? Stop, just No, just stop it. Just but, but only if he finishes. Move past. <laughs> it's provisional. Move on. <laughs> Completing the top five overnight on Saturday was Oliver Salberg, again, uh, still putting in smashing times and sitting ahead of a number of Rally 1 cares. And surely another good reason that he belongs back in a Rally 1 car at some point in the near future. Also, because of the new points thing, um, Evan's failure to overhaul for Mo on the Saturday night uh, was a disadvantage, obviously, because he would have, again, provisionally had extra points had he managed to get his hands on second. So, Sunday. Evans was was absolutely mighty on uh, SS16, the, the first stage of uh, the Sunday loop, uh, 22 seconds faster than Formo, uh, who clipped a snowbank briefly, uh, which obviously meant he was able to retake second overall. Evans then went fastest from Neville by 4.1 seconds on uh, SS17. Uh, Formo was in third, Robin Perra uh, up to fourth. Um, Takamoto had another spin on SS17, but he was able to keep it going. How do you think Evans has traditionally performed on an event like this? Do we think this is representative of his, of his pace on snow? Well, he won it in 2020, didn't he? But that wasn't exactly the most uh, representative, I suppose, of, of Swedish rallies. No, um, not a typical one. It's getting there, though. I mean, he's got to be about the most successful driver in Sweden, points-wise, I imagine. Colin got a few seconds. No, I don't. I'm, I, you know, I, 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 my, my rally mental encyclopedia might be coming out empty there, but you know, someone will come correct me. Perhaps, uh, yeah, answers in the comments. Um, so as Sunday wore on, Lappy was taking no risks. Uh, he completed the Sunday morning stages with a 34 second lead over Evans, um, who had obviously now cleared Formo. Uh, Formo, I think, again. Measure drive here. Do you think he's he's just he knows there's a podium up for grabs if he just cruises away? He's comfortably protected. He doesn't have to take any risks. Get there, stand on the on the podium. His first one and a great points for Sport along the way. When we got back into the arena to finish out the the event, uh, we saw a few uh bodywork mishaps along the way. Newville completely lost his tailgate after a huge jump. And uh, Formo also picked up some damage with his rear wing uh, over the jump in the final stage. But at the very end, we saw Lappy cross the finish line and cruise over the ramp for his first victory since 2017. But he 
did not claim the most points of the rally. 19 points to Evans' 24, I believe, right? And the very fact that I'm not 100% sure about that, despite doing my best, says a lot about the system. Um, I think it says everything, doesn't it? Def. Yeah, yeah. On the upside, the very fact that I was very happy that Lappy won again. I can't believe, I'm like genuinely floored that, well, A, 2017 is so long ago, but it's that long since he last won. Um, yeah. Yeah, I said it on Twitter immediately. It was just on my mind throughout the whole day that it's it's mind-boggling that it's that long. And if you asked you if you asked me after that Finland win, you'd never have said it would have taken another six years for it to come around. I might have jinxed him because I remember immediately after that writing some big long thing where I said he was going to be the next big thing and we were going to for some kind of you know lappy based domination a la Ogier. So evidently I've inherited a Murray Walker style curse. Have you been writing stuff about Katsuta as well, Jamie? No, oh, no, no. So I've learned my lesson, mate. Let's say. <laughs> Maybe you passed it on even further because when he took you for the spin in the Berlingo that time. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. He's saying that I am the the arbiter of misfortune. It's my... I, I, it's catching. <laughs> There's evidence to support it. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, look, that's probably a big takeaway from this, really. I mean, potentially overshadowing a great result for, for Lappy is that there's probably more talk about how he didn't claim maximum points despite winning the rally. Just unfair on the chap, really. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he'd look at it perhaps, or hopefully he'll look at it as a case of he drove within himself to to get the po- the, the victory that mattered more the points, and it's a case of getting his the duck off his back or whatever, breaking his duck, you know, um, and and an entry point to further success but you, you know you're right it's i'm just rearranging deck tiers on the titanic here isn't it it's it's a, a really confusing system and and it shouldn't be that you, you can end up with you know the, the 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 victor on the road being less rewarded it just doesn't seem right and if you think about it the fact that he did drive a measured rally and did what he needed to do to win you know that that's a good thing. That why why should he be penalised for driving in a way that secured him the win? You know, I I just fundamentally disagree with that. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, it's it's but a that's weird what rallying's always been about the cause of the jeopardy involved in the sport. Just getting through it and being tactical, strategic, yeah, being clever. Absolutely. The measured rally is the one that gets you the win in a lot of cases. Um, and we've seen the fellas fall foul of not, you know, not taking that approach so many times over the years from winning positions. Why should it benefit someone else so much? It's, yeah, I mean, it's a huge golf. Even if they were the same points, you'd say something, but it's way too much. And this is only going to get more and more confusing as the, as the year goes on. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose we'll become used to it to a degree and we'll know by rote what the point systems are and everything else but yeah it's it's still going to be a very confusing few months years absolutely and you know to bring it to a close coming into safari at the end of march we now have thierry Nouvel leading the drivers championship on 48 points 
closely followed by Evans on 45. Newville, you probably wouldn't pick him too strongly for a safari result, but it's probably anyone's rally. Third in the driver's standings is Adrian Formo, 29 points. So a bit of a gulf and one that's likely to increase. So, folks, that brings us to an end of our Rally Sweden coverage. Uh, we'll be back for more uh, post-event coverage going forward, uh, backing up our more usual fare along the way. Uh, we hope you like our new addition to the team. And please give us any feedback along the way about how we're covering uh, the events moving throughout the year. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye.